This is a Podcast 225 production. Welcome to the Clay Young Show. Back at it again with another edition of the Clay Young Show here on Podcast 225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 107.3 mobile app. What's going on? How are you? If you're in Louisiana, you're riding the weather roller coaster that we're always on around here. It's crazy, right? One day it's 35 degrees, the next day it's 70 degrees, and that's not too much of a stretch between days. I mean, Thursday and Friday last week, you could have been bundled up in a long coat, scarf, hat, and then by the time you got to the weekend, you could be in short pants. I think Sunday, there were temperatures in the 70s. So, really nothing you can do about that. It's just the way things go around here. Anyway, glad to have you back for episode 149 of the Clay Young Show here on podcast225.com. While you're here, check out the Waiting Room Podcast with Dr. Mary Catherine Gastonall and Katie Fetzer, soon to be Dr. Katie Fetzer, and uh, looking forward to hearing their next episode, which will be dropping next week. That should be fun. All right, well, glad to have you back for episode 149. This week is part two of our conversation with Bishop Omar Jawar of Urban Specialists, where he is the chief executive officer and he's also the pastor of Kingdom Restoration Church in Dallas. Looking forward to continuing our talk with him. Always have a good time. He's got a great sense of humor and is a pretty deep intellectual, as I'm sure you will find. For many people who heard the last show, you got great insight on his ability to do what he has done in Dallas and what they're doing in Atlanta and what they plan to do here in Baton Rouge. I am looking forward to helping him and supporting them in that effort as well. Man, there's so much going on right now. You know, we haven't talked a lot about politics in recent shows, and I think we will probably do that. The president's going to be giving his State of the Union address, and maybe we will reach out to John Cuvion and uh, Dr. Albert Sam to come on, Samuel, to come on to talk about that in a couple of weeks. Episode 150 is on the way, so I got something special for that. I think Bishop Omar will be involved with that, and he and I will talk about that in our conversation that's coming up in just a little bit. And I've got some other guests that I'm working on to confirm for that one as well. So I'm looking forward to that, man. It's it's It's... Pretty good. It's a pretty good milestone, 150 episodes of this show. I mean, there were a few periods where we did two shows in a week. And, you know, around the time that July 2016 was going on, we were talking to a lot of people who were connected to that month. I mean, it was the beginning of a two-month cycle that was the worst that I could ever remember here. I mean, that period was worse than anything emotionally that I think the town went through during Katrina. I think Gustav, as a hurricane, was probably worse for Baton Rouge than Katrina was, and it still wasn't as emotionally draining as what we went through in July and then in August of 2016. So, you know, just just interesting. And, uh, And some of the other conversations with members of Congress, uh, we had Mayor Broom on before she took the oath of office. Man, all the shows with Richard Condon. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Uh, of course, Tom Lang, Detective Tom Lang over in L.A., getting him on to talk about the O.J. case, and he took us all the way through it. So if you ever wanted to go behind the scenes in the courtroom as that trial was going on, look up those shows and hear what he had to say. We got great perspective on that from him. I mean, local people around town, George Bell, one of my favorite people, former Chief Jeff LaDuff, who's been in here. Uh, We had the first conversation with now-retired Police Chief Carl Dabity. He came in and sat with us. As I look at the the door of fame, as I call it, Stephen Wagesback has been in here to talk with us. My goodness, all three of the widows have come and spoken with us. We actually spoke with Sandra Sterling in the weeks directly after July of 2016, she was here. Members of the police department, of course, 
My buddy, uh, Colonel David Cuvillon, retired, has been in here. The conversation with the folks from Stand for Children and Educators. I mean, it's been John Fabry with Infinity of Baton Rouge and Lafayette and Acura of Baton Rouge and Subaru of Baton Rouge came in and told us the entire story of how he went from selling cars to running dealerships to now he and his brother owning dealerships. I mean, we've had great conversations with people in here. David Vincent, my buddy, my friend, the martial arts guru that he is, has come in and talked about him getting into that. Stephanie Regal with the Baton Rouge Business Report. David Day has been in here a couple times, who is a media specialist. Prem Burns, you know, former assistant assistant district attorney, has been in here, prosecutor. I mean, man, oh, I can go on and on and on with names of people. Bishop Charles Wallace of the Oasis Christian Church here in Baton Rouge. Leo Verde and Brian Dykes, who came in and gave really a master class on menus and wine and being in the restaurant business it was it was really great gordy rush i mean so many people i just like i said i could go on and on just naming names and all of you who have given great feedback on the show over the years that we have done it it's been great man i i have enjoyed sitting in this chair talking with so many interesting and wonderful people and we're going to do a lot more of it Starting with the gentleman who's going to be here on episode 149, Bishop Jawar, who will be our guest in just a moment, right after I tell you to share with your friends what we are doing here on the Clay Young Show. As a matter of fact, as I'm walking into my building today, uh, this morning, earlier this morning, and walking in just kind of focused on what's ahead, there's some work being done on the outside of the building, and one of the carpenters outside, we kind of catch eyes, make eye contact. He was looking in my direction and he says, hey, when are you going to have me on your show? (laughs) Which of course draws a response of laughter for me. And I said, hey man, anytime. He said, yeah, I've got some topics that I want to get to. So I love that. I love the fact that people download and listen to the podcast and uh, maybe we'll get him in here. You know, it should be good. And because there is no FCC regulation on it, I'm sure it'll be really, really fun. All right, we've yammered on enough. Let's take a quick break and come back with Bishop Omar Jawar here on The Clay Young Show. This is Dr. Mary Catherine Roderick, and I'm Katie Fetzer. We're the owners and co-founders of The Wellness Studio, a mental health practice with locations here in Baton Rouge and Covington. We are also your host for The Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com. Our podcast is a journey into the world of mental health. On our show, we're going to discuss some of the various forms of mental health conditions. We're also going to shed light on the various ways our listeners can get a better understanding of how the mind works and why we do what we do. So subscribe today to get The Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 107 mobile app. Clay Young here and listen, if you are trying to sell your home but you want to save money, let me tell you something. Denise Harris with Remax Preferred Choice has the answer. Denise, let's talk about that. Yes, Clay. I'm really, really excited to talk about this promotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're offering a commission of 3.6%. That's mm-hmm. all you pay. Right. Instead of paying a 6% or a 5%, wow. we're offering you the same services for 3.6%. So you save money, thousands. Yes. And what else do you get? You get a full service listing. Okay. And professionals, full-time agents that are here to service you. You also get professional photos. Right. Right. That's how people shop now. Right. Professional photos are going to help you sell your property. So don't miss the opportunity to get this help. Contact Denise Harris and Annie McGarner right now. How can people reach you? Give us a call at 291-4440, 291-4440, or you can stop by our office at 3300 North Shore Forest Drive. We're here to service you. That's Remax Preferred Choice. This is The Clay Young Show on Podcast225.com. Back with Bishop Omar Jawar, who is the CEO of Urban Specialists and the pastor of Kingdom uh, Restoration Church. And if you didn't know him before you listened to part one of our conversation, as we say down here in the South, you show enough know him now. And uh, he's back with us on the line Man, I mean, there were lots of people who didn't make Dallas and haven't heard a ton about what was going on, but I heard tremendous feedback from people who were super impressed by what you've done and are excited to have that here in the Red Stick. Man, you know, 
I'm gonna tell you something, Brother Clay. When when I when I first thought about this, you know, we was thinking about it in general. To be honest with you, this became the first official love affair between Texas and Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> <the> Louisiana person. <laughs> 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 okay, listen. Became, hey, hey, listen. It became the Baton Rouge love thing, man. <laughs> hey, listen. I'm gonna I'm gonna quote you on that five times, and then it's mine after then. All right. <laughs> all right, you got it. You got it. <laughs> man, it, and and it is so needed. I, you know, as we record this, I went to a uh, breakfast this morning of of business people from around the region and. We got a report on the economic forecast for the state, and things are looking, you know, up here. I mean, we're pretty bullish on what's about to happen here because of all of the investment that's going to happen in infrastructure, and, you know, companies are going to be really moving in to do more here. But one of the gentlemen who spoke, he used to run a Fortune 500 company based here in Baton Rouge. He started it. And then sold it, and now he's doing, uh, he's doing investment in in businesses. He's, he runs an equity company, and he talked about how we are not we're good, we're not great. And and he talked about the really the issue, the deficit that's happening in the community with the people from education to crime and all of these things. And I said, man, he's right down Main Street of where we are. And he talked about working together. That was a big theme of the conversation. A friend of mine who was a sitting congressman, was there, and he said the same thing, and that theme of all of us working together. And I know we'll jump back into our conversation from last week, but, you know, i got to say, man, it is as toxic an atmosphere of communication as I think I have ever seen, and and that goes back a ways, but we not, we not only scream at each other in public, we not only scream at each other in government buildings and, and, you know, in council meetings and in legislatures. Now we're all over social media bashing each other. And it, it is my thesis that if we don't stop this, if we don't do something to shift that, we are headed for a bad, bad collision with reality. What are your thoughts on that? You know, Clay, that, that is so true because what, what you had, back in the day was time and space where what you thought had to filter through some process. Now with social media, I don't have to think about it. I can share real time my thoughts and we all know, I mean, certain thoughts that we have, though legitimate, once we mull it over, we say it's, it's inappropriate and then we get to it's unnecessary. But when you're operating in this at the force of your finger and you can just send out what you think real time without any filter, you run the risk of really giving giving us a bad narrative, and so small small disagreements become big divisions. It becomes this idea of a gulf that we can't get across. That's why we were talking about having this course correction conversation because at certain points you can't live in a silo called me, uh, and the and the idea that says my pain only. That don't work. They don't work in real life. You gotta, you have to adjust to others. So you're absolutely right, man. We're on a major collision with reality, and this is what reality says. Reality says you may be angry, but it don't mean you're right. right. You may be hurting, but you're not the only one. You may have a legitimate problem, but there are other legitimate problems that supersede yours. You may have to wait in line to get your your needs met, but you can wait. That there are times when we have to have a season of healing and and and, and time out. It's just all of those nuances that made life livable gets very complicated when you start using the one-touch methodology. I call it a drive-by analysis of dealing with major problems. You can't do that. It's so interesting because, you know, as someone who has been involved in the community as you have been and still are and have worked with businesses, both helping them find direction, but also translating the realities of an urban culture, which, by the way, an urban culture in 2018 isn't what it was in 1988. An urban culture is a very diverse culture of people. And for me, it is trying to find a way to get people to just listen to one another a little bit and and understand that, as you say, just because you're angry, it doesn't mean that you are right. And you find 
that it's hard. You almost want to recoil from getting in and helping because you feel like it doesn't really matter what you do. The reality won't change. And apathy is so dangerous. So as a pastor, when you are consulting and encouraging people to keep the faith, what do you use as a basis for that motivation. And I know that faith obviously is a big basis, but how do you articulate that to people who say, I don't know, Rev, it just seems like, you know, it's not worth the effort. What do you say to people? I tell them that reality is changing before your eyes. And this is, this is one, if you come to my church and you got to come, man, I got, you got, I got hey, man. you to come hey, man. to worship, man. I need you in Dallas. Man, I'm almost, but, I'm almost about to be a property owner in Dallas. I'm there so much, man. <laughs> That's right. I'm trying to recruit one of your best bad rules. But uh, one of the things that we say is God is always up to something. Like there's there's never a stagnant moment in God's uh, idea. And what that means is, if, even if you take it away from the religious context, if you just, in life, if I told you 12 years ago or 16 years ago, Facebook, you would say, I don't know what you're talking about. If I told you iPhones that, you know, I, I, you know, so life is always moving and transitioning. So you can't afford to stop even when your environment is stagnant. You may have to be the provocateur that causes that, that kind of rapid paced movement. Because here's the other thing that we know about urban culture. Urban culture right now, man, is, uh, is fast moving. It's fluid. Um, it has, little filters right now it's mixed classes it's 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 social exposure so urban culture is not just one thing it has this rapid movement and it doesn't have the filters that we used that we're used to see we're used to filters like good churches or good this you know um you know but but sometimes man you need to have uh understanding of the environment and it's changed and it's very so you got to be uh you got to be own that so that you can experience what it looks like when it gets better. I agree with you. And then when you mix in millennials who I think on the positive side have the potential to be the world's next greatest generation. And that's mostly because of their access to information, which allows so many of them to achieve wealth at such an early age and because of their connectivity to one another. As a marketing guy, you understand if you could reach your audience in a fast paced and accurate way, you have a better chance of giving them something they need to get you the return on whatever that investment is. So on the positive, they've got all the tools to get it done faster. On the other side, they take not having patience from being just a problem to a professional sport. What you know, when it comes to millennials and, and, and how they work in this thing, man, that's the thing. Cause you know, so many of them, because I got two of them in my house. So, you know, and, and and another one behind them. How how do you encourage people to relate to them? Truth has always worked for me. Truth, you know, connected with love. But how do you tell people to reach out to that generation of employees and business owners and leaders that are coming right now? Well, the, the, the way you have to reach them is incremental celebrations over what we thought were regular is regular stuff. <laughs> it was oh, a friend man. of mine that, that had uh, two young men that got up. It was on a train station, and they and it was some ladies who came on, and these guys got up and gave them at the subway. They gave them their seats. The brother went to them privately and gave them both five dollars and said, "Thank you for still believing in chivalry." And then a friend, you know, those guys looking like, "Wow!" See, sometimes what we understand is long term value because of the speed of culture. Because of the speed of culture, it causes the reaction time to go quicker. I was in a meeting one time, man, with a very wealthy guy who did some stuff on the internet and a real estate guy who was very wealthy. And it was an older, you know, one was older, the real estate guy was older, and the other guy was, uh, you know, he was an ex-generation, he wasn't millennial. But he said to a guy, he said, well, it used to take you six months to research I have 60 minutes to execute because of the speed of my my world. He said, it's just I don't have that kind of time. So we got to adjust to that. See, we can't say, 
stop the world. I want to get off. You know, we, we can't do that. We have to adjust to the speed. Now, what we do is once you start having transactional relationships, it will turn into relational, uh, you know, relational transactions. But you got to start with transactions so people will know that you have a vested interest in their growth. So a lot of times people say, man, you give a lot of weight and you do a lot of this. You do, because <laughs> it don't hurt me to plant that seed right. because the goal for me is to get the harvest. And the harvest, see, the ground is still the same and seed and harvest is still the same. You ain't got to worry about that. But sometimes I got to put a little more seed because their, their ground may be a little, you know, a little tougher. But it still is the same principle, even if I got to speed up the process. It's so interesting you say that, you know, and, and what you get back. I remember I spoke at an event last January, and it was a business event, and I talked about competition. And I said, for people who are in industries that I'm in, I don't look at the other company as my competition. I'm actually competing with myself, but I root for competitors in this way. I think if all of us are doing the best job we can, then those who intend on delivering quality will always have a job. They'll always have access to a customer base. So I'm not looking for an industry to dry up to where I'm the last man standing, because that just means I'm the last man standing. And after me, there's nobody else. And I think that in, in business, when and, and the same goes in communities, every community, every part of a city won't grow at the same pace because talents aren't equal. Some people have the ability to assimilate and, and then really use knowledge at a faster pace than others. That's just the way it goes. But in poorer communities, I don't think outcome is what we ought to be shooting for as much as opportunity. And if we can find a way to make certain that opportunities are pervasive and those who are willing to do for the thing that they want always have an opportunity to do, we're good. Some people are just lazy. They ain't leaving the couch unless it's on fire. And I just think that that's a part of dovetailing to what you do is getting people prepared to seize the opportunity, and then we leave it up to the politicians to understand that there are no opportunities. So often there aren't opportunities and then there is no ambition. So how if you're talking to both the mass of people in communities and also elected leaders, a lot of whom who listen to this show, what would you say to both sides of that equation if that question makes any sense? Yeah, it does. I would say to them that we don't have to force true opportunity because it always presents itself right. as a need. You know, there's something to solve right now. What we have to do is motivate those who see it as solvable. See, what happens is when you get in a situation where you are in a bridge in this world, where you're in a world that doesn't seem to have a way to get across, you succumb to the environment that you're in and say, that's it. So it's up to those of us who have resources or who are elected officials or who have visions or who have access to create those bridges and dare them to come across. See, some people need a good dare for them to try it. You know, I, you know, I don't know if you remember when you was young, you would say you put the little paper on your shoulder and say, I dare you to knock it off. Somebody's going to knock it off your shoulder and see what you're going to do. You know, so you have some of that all the time, you know. So we got to dare people to be great. We can't, and then we, and, and then we have to plan into that expectation that they are. See, one of the things that I, I remember when I was growing up is there were certain people who were very good at a sport or, or uh, an assignment. When they taught it to you, they taught it at the speed that they know it, knew it because they wanted you to catch up. They weren't going to slow down to the point where you were learning. They would say, "Man, you got to, you got to speed up your thinking ability." Right. You know, it, it ain't never, I don't know if you ever been on at a pickup basketball game. Yes. And you just so happen to get picked up by the real dudes that can really play that dunk and all that. <laughs> That's right. You better not go out there to double dribbling and shooting. And, hey, bro, what you, you know, everybody going to stop the game until you learn how to dribble, man. We we out here now. You better throw an alley-oop or act like you can or play hard defense or do something to let us know you qualified. See, you got to be dared to and challenge. That's why I love the coach model of intervention. Uh, when you have coaches, because coaches can get you to do what your body is saying, I did it and I can't do it, but they push you beyond what you think is your limit. So I think all of those things become our way of uh, doing this without having to re reinvent the wheel. 
Man, one of my favorite quotes is by Thomas Edison. And Edison says, opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. <laughs> so, so I like it. <laughs> it's the truth because that's real. There's there are no free lunches in life, man. You got to be ready to grind at every at every moment. And you know, for what you have seen, you know, through your vision and what this program, Urban Specialists, has become. You know, starting with the work you've been doing in Dallas, having expanded to Atlanta, now coming to Baton Rouge. If you had to sum up the reason that you have gotten to this point in one word or one phrase or even one statement, what would that be? Uh, man, that's good. I think the one word would be uh, perseverance. Mm. Um, I, I might could even say resiliency. Yeah. yeah. But, but I, I just think the bottom line is you got to be doggedly determined to yeah. do what you said you were put on earth to do, even when nothing around you affirms that. You got to know that that's what your mission is, and not become distracted because you will. You got the opportunity. You got the opportunity to go to town every day. Yeah, and you have the opportunity to say, "Now nah, I'm out," uh, or, or blame others. But we say to all of our young people, no matter what happens to you, you're responsible for what you do for you. See, so I can be very good at complaining, but I got to be very—I got to be better at, you know, readjusting and doing the work. You know, everybody likes to quote Einstein's uh, statement that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. And I have, for as long as I could remember, uh, I've said that's also the definition of persistence. And the only difference between persistence. And insanity is information because if I know this is going to work and I keep trying it because I know it's going to work based upon the information, when I get it, you're called a genius, right? That same thing that you're doing, if it never works, people call you crazy because they say, why, why, why does you keep opening businesses? Why are you keep investing over here? Why are you keep doing? And if it never works, people call you silly. But the moment it works, they call you a legend. And we've got books written about people who held on to a vision with information. And God bless them for it because we reap the benefits of those things now. That's right. Totally agree. That's a blind. I agree. So let's. So last week, where we left off our conversation was about you coming to Baton Rouge and having been in the community and met some of the people here. You've met people in law enforcement. You've met people in elected office. You've met some of the the leaders of churches here, and some of the people, most notably among the people you've met here, uh, have been Tanya and Trenisha. And we talked through that. Did we leave anything out, in your opinion, when you think back on what we talked about last week before we move on? No, just that, that one of the things that was powerful is meeting Tanya and Tanisha in an area that is uh, in an area that is totally uh, vulnerable. They were back on the streets. Yeah. Walking. Yep. Doing the work, not yep. at the house, complaining about the course. Yeah. So that was interesting. Uh, I just wanted to mention that. And I noticed their spirit when I was walking. I mean, they, they were, they were sisterly, they were intentional, but they were out there. Well, you know, one of the things, and I, I just to dwell on that a little bit about that, because we touched on it and how it all happened. And I want to go back to that, to the list of people you know, I just I have I've been here a long time and have invested in this community both emotionally and financially for sure. And I made you know I've I've got friends who who work in elected office as well as other business people and people in the community. And in that group, just so the everyone listening will know, was the district attorney, uh, was uh, former Chief Carl Dabity, former Chief Jeff Leduff, Adam Knapp, who runs the chamber. We had a jeweler out there. We had a, re- a restaurant owner out there, as well as a, a, you know members of the Baton Rouge Police Department and the East Baton Rouge Sheriff's Office. In addition to Tanya and Trinisha and you know the members of Oasis Christian Church here, Pastor Wallace's church and yourself, and everybody who showed up that day didn't exactly know what was going to go on. 
And and just to put that out there, they didn't know you didn't know what was all going to go on when we got out there. I just said, hey, we're going to go love on some people. And when we started walking and dispersing, if if people could have experienced the joy, the camaraderie, the compassion, the appreciation that we experienced in that 90 minutes out there, if we could bottle that up and give it away, man, I think we can do a lot of good. Clay, you're right. I mean, it was an unusual list of characters that you brought in, man. I don't know how you pulled it off, but it was a wonderful, it was a wonderful cornucopia of great folks and concerned folks and hurting folks, healed folks, victims, uh, survivors. It was just business leaders, church leaders, regular children, uh, excellent volunteers. It was just a great look. And then you had to see food place and giving away food. <laughs> it meant a lot. And well, it was door to door, really going, not waiting, not asking someone else to do it. And uh, it was, it was to me, it, it had uh, success written all over it. Well, and I think that there's going to be, I know there are going to be more opportunities like that this year. Now let's move to the course correction conversation that took place on Martin Luther King Day here this year. It took place in Dallas, and we talked about what you were hoping to accomplish with that event. But for people who may not have caught part one, and I encourage you to go back and listen to it, let's talk about the genesis of the course correction conversation. Well, it it was really twofold. One, uh, Anton Lucky, one of my guys, has said to me that, you know, they're having all these discussions, but it's never been with everybody in the same room. Uh, he was like, we, you know, we should do that. And that was, I thought about that, and then someone else, one of my, I kept saying, I, I would say in my speeches and words, hey, we need a course correction. We need, I was saying that. And then a friend of mine, Claire Burns, who is an excellent uh, videographer, she said that should be the name of this uh, thought, the course correction conversation. And, you know, combining those two ideas, I, I, I just was so possessed with that that we decided to go all around the country and find people who had been victims or trying to heal and solve this irrational violence epidemic. And that, and they had some social currency that they could use to come in and help us kind of frame this narrative. And we and we quickly thought about Baton Rouge, knowing what had happened, and said, let's let this be our, uh, let's let this one be our, uh, our idea. You know, that we bring it in. And we bring the folks who have been uh, touched the most. So it kind of it, it just turned into this massive, unbelievable move that I'm still shocked at, at the power of it and how in depth it was. Tell people some of the names of some of the people who participated in this event. Uh, well, you had Scarface, you had Senator Ted Cruz, you had uh, Congresswoman Ebony Johnson, you had the Fratado Brothers, the family of Sean Bell. The family of uh, Freddie Gray, you had Billy Stanfield, uh, you had John Carlos, the Olympian, you had uh, Marcus Peters, the uh, cornerback the, uh, for the Chiefs, you had uh, D1, a great rapper, you had, uh, you, man, you had so many people. Uh, you had Rico Love, who was from Atlanta, he wrote a lot of the hits that you guys probably jamming to right now. <laughs> so just, so many people from different walks of life. You had business leaders. You had guys who were on the ground. Uh, you just had many, many folks who were there that whose job was to figure out how do we solve this issue. And then you had the bad moves contingency, which are strong, and it was wonderful. Well, I think that it's it, it was great, and you know I know that you're you're up against the clock. Let's talk about that night and how it unfolded. Okay, now look, so we're going to talk about this, but you know we might have to do it. We're going to do a third, because I don't want to rush that, because that's the big deal. What happened that night is the deal. Well, wait a minute. Well, well, hang on. Hang on. Because, you know, Paulie's already, you know, know, my daughter talked me into getting what I call a high-tech ankle bracelet, otherwise known as an Apple Watch. And so, um, and so she, so I get information. I got, I got a text about, uh, about you being jammed up against the clock. So how many real minutes do you have? Because if we can't start baking this pie, I don't even want to turn the oven on. So, so how much time do you have? We, we have, uh, we have about, 
we have some clay minutes to that. So I'm not going to define what those minutes are. <laughs> I'm just going to say we got some clay minutes All right. left. <laughs> After my clay minutes, then I'm going I'm I'm to stop and uh, get with the brothers. But we got some clay minutes. All right, okay. Because I got to set this up. Okay. But, but, you can't, but we can't leave them hanging. Now. No, we, can, we can't leave them hanging. No, you know, so, some, sometimes so yeah. that's how you get people back. But let's set this up. Let's set up the event okay, and how this went. Okay. All right. So you got so this is what you got. You got fifteen hundred people we had let me let me let me be let me not exaggerate. We had fourteen hundred and ninety nine. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> we had <laughs> we had about thirteen hundred people actually who came to Gillies, Southside Ballroom. It's the same place where they had Chance the Rapper, the Trump rally, the, he was there at one point, uh, Barack Obama was there. So it was a, it's a major venue and it was on MLK Day. And we had the signage and the whole deal was course correction everywhere. And you had the who's who in Dallas. Dallas was Dallas represented too. You had those on the right, those on the left. You had black, you had white, you had rich, you had poor. Dion, and I didn't say Dion, my man, Prime, Prime was there. <laughs> uh, and it was so funny. Dion, I love the thing that Dion said. He said, you had full folks sitting next to hungry folks. <laughs> you had right. broke folks sitting next to rich folks. <laughs> it was that kind of moment, right, man. Right. And everyone was there. Yeah, to hear this conversation with Trinisha, with Tanya, and with Andrika. They were there for that. Uh, all of the other things led us up to that moment. And in the middle of all of that conversation was this guy who is part politician, part business leader, part preacher, part philanthropist, Clay. He was the <laughs> magnet that brought this together with Andrea Wait a minute. Did you did you say did you throw preacher in there? Bar. Did you throw preacher in yeah, there? Yeah, oh. yeah, <laughs> preacher. Yeah, yeah. I did that for your mom and then we left. So they know that they know that we know what it is. <laughs> oh man. So, just so it won't be no confusion about where this is, brother. I, I can already so hear some people I listen, I can already I can already hear some people saying I I object to that, Judge. I object. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man. Cigars and whiskey don't count for that freak. But anyway, man, let's move on, man. I ain't tripping, man. We, we understand. Everybody got their advice, bro. But you still got a word in you, man. <laughs> that is too funny. So, yeah, man. And we had Miss Gus, Grandmama. Who Gussie that was on the stage. Man, it was a major moment. And I gotta tell you guys about the conversation. I'm serious because man, it was they were so appropriate. Yeah. And, and this was not planned. That's the other thing about it, man. I know I'm going on and on. But this was not like, you know, framed. It was framed in that you and I talked about, okay, man, let's make them comfortable and make them open. But but we let this happen as it was gonna happen. So it could have blown up. It was just it was just a magical moment. I'm going to tell you the most magical moment. We'll get into the conversation, but we don't want to rush this. this, this is, <laughs> we, right. need to, we need to walk this. Right. I'm going to tell you the most magical, one of the most magical moments is when I said to Trinisha and Tanya, so you guys best friends, and on key, they both said sisters. At the same you know, time. The whole crowd at the same time, spontaneous. And it was just that kind of, those little affirmations. And, and, and let me tell you something. We've been talking, me and Anton, Paulie, Corey, all of us, we've been talking. We got a role for them going forward in this movement, and I'm serious, because, see, reconciliation needs an example, not an argument. See, wow. reconciliation needs a living parable. Jesus, he would say, look at me. When they say, we want to see God, he said, say, well, you see me, you see the Father. See, sometimes people got to see what we said so they can understand what we mean. There's nothing greater than having those two talk, uh, those three talk. Actually, and Zika was so sweet and so precious yep. and so loving yep, yep. that it couldn't be contaminated. You couldn't contaminate that moment, man. It was a great moment. And, you know, and Trinisha was herself, man, which is so funny, man. <laughs> oh, man. He warmed up. Oh, just, man. <laughs> oh, then, man. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Trinisha <laughs> just said, I'm going to be me. Let me let me tell y'all what it is. Tanya had such grace and beauty. And power, always. She was, she was, she was powerful, and it was just a balance, man. I, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if they did not see that, they need to just look at that Go conversation. Watch it. And all the rest of it was was wonderful too, there. But that was just like it, it blew my mind. 
So at the rehearsal earlier in the day before the event, we're sitting on the front row, uh, those of us who are going to be participating in the conversation, and Aaron, uh, I forget Aaron's last name, uh, who was with you on stage. Uh, yeah, it was Aaron. Aaron. And, and so Aaron is, is kind of talking us through what's going to happen, and it actually was another young lady giving details on what's going to go on, so... I had not seen Andrika. That was Latoya. Latoya, that was Latoya. Latoya. I had not seen Andrika before. I never saw when they came in and sat down. But the lady sitting next to her looked so familiar. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. So I didn't say anything because we were all listening for instructions. I wanted to hear everything that needed to happen just so I wasn't lost when we got back to the event. And so as she stands up, I said, Gussie. And she turned around, and it was Gus Coleman who who serves as Andrika's gr- uh, grandmother. She calls her Granny, and so she gave me the biggest hug. And that lady hugs you like you are her her child who just got back from war. She hugs you like that every time. And so we talked. And so Tanya comes over behind me, and she and Andrika start talking. And within a matter of seconds. Andrika starts talking about Brad and Tanya's eyes got as big as silver dollars. And it's like, wait, yes, man. Yes. you are the Andrika who works at, who worked at Lowe's. And she's like, yes. And so now they're both crying. I am, I don't know what, I am just awestruck by what's happening in front of me. And she says, yeah. And she tell Tanya tells me, Brad used to joke that he was going to Lowe's to see his black girlfriend <laughs> and Brad and Brad's dad and members of the family. They all knew her. And in that very moment, I knew, even though I had a good feeling about the event in that very moment, I knew that we were about to be a part of something greater than special. And it was something. And those women and the way they were talking and chatting and it was unbelievable, but no one, at least not me, could have predicted that moment. I know. I mean, I mean, Clay, that was that's what I was saying. When I saw that man, it, it became so apparent that this was bigger than us. I mean, I, I couldn't stop crying. I had to. I, I, people said, "Why did you cry on stage?" I said, "Because I cried all during rehearsal." Man. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. That moment threw everybody. You know, I, I, all of us were like, "Come on, man, this can't be real." And, you know, it was just, it was so many small affirmations. You know, I saw, because it was bad, you know, we, you know, we had some some people from Baton Rouge uh, who were there that were were really, uh, it was touch and go with uh, with Tanisha and Tanya. uh, Because they had, you know, we had that scenario, uh, Brother Arthur that was there, Reed, uh, Slim. Yeah. I saw Tanisha go and pull him aside. Yeah, and say, "Hey, man, I forgive you." And I heard them, and I'm looking. I'm saying, and Paulie, my guy, he's he's taking pictures. Like, Bishop, did you see that? I said, "Man, I couldn't believe. It. I just didn't want to interrupt, you know, because it was just so much goodness going everywhere that it turned into this moment that if you, you know, you can sit on table, but if you are now, you, you won't know how. No, it was just such a powerful moment, man, that it spoke well into what we were talking about, which is redemption. And, and so that's all I'm going to say today, man. I'm not saying it anymore, man. <laughs> that's it. I'm not talking because I'm not getting okay. emotional on your podcast. You wouldn't be the first, but in this one, I think we, we leave that there. I will just say that those ladies are stronger than even they know. They right. are stronger than than even they know. And I can tell you, I talk to them all the time. I actually, I talked to uh, Desha Gerald, the other widow uh, as well. And I'll tell you that I have never, and this is the truth, I have never heard bitterness from them one time. Not once. Now, this goes back to what? months after that took place. And I've heard pain. I've heard frustration. I've heard an adjustment to a reality that they didn't ask for or contribute to in any way, but I have never heard bitterness. And they have transitioned where they are in life to becoming outspoken about love and working together. And I think that that is the greatest gift 
that they could have and give to the rest of us because that's not a pain that most people even understand or have been in anywhere close to. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you know, you you described and, and really gave me the story because I because I try to stay in the in the in the moment of spiritual reconciliation. When I'm doing reconciliation stuff, man, I try to stay in the spirit of reconciliation. So even when I'm doing stuff with gangs and this, I rarely get deep inside their world because when I get deep in the world, you know, it's so many things you can discover and you can lose yourself in, and you miss going up. To the reconciliation part, but when you told you remember when you was like, "Listen, let me sit down with you, man, and and, and let me explain to you what they've been through." It, you know, it, it shook me uh, because, like you said, that was that was that's that's the kind of devastation that you don't think about. And then when I talked to Andrika, it shook me, you know, because see, a lot of people hear the headlines, but they never get into the details. They never open up and really go in and say, "So, what does that mean?" Right. They don't do that. And so that's what we did. And, be, and quite honestly, quite all, all plan aside, that's what you did, my brother, because I had no context to have them to share it in that way. They were open because they were you. And Andrika, you know, I ain't, I ain't going to even say what she said because I don't want to make her pass jealous. But anyway, man, we're going to stop. Well, that's worse, than, that's worse than saying what she said. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just playing fast. I don't even know you, brother. He is banned from Ben Rouge. I'm, right. I'm just kidding, man. Be I don't wait- even know hey, you, he'll be waiting on he you at the airport. He'll be waiting on you at the airport. That's that's right. <laughs> and you know, you know, you know, my bitch. Well, listen, I know that I know that again, you know, that, that you're up against the clock and there definitely has to be a part three because we have to talk about the direct aftermath of that night, but also what's going to happen here in Baton Rouge. And so when people are asking, okay, what is Urban Specialists? You've learned a lot about how it was started. You've learned some about what it is it has done. But what's next is what is the program, the organization, the people, what's going to happen with Urban Specialists in Baton Rouge? And I think that is right. a great place to clip this and wait for uh, a part three, which part three will see you be a part of my 150th podcast. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's an anim- that, that, That's sir. a big mark for me. This is episode 149. So you and I, I got a couple of other guests I'm trying to con- uh, to confirm and, and separate conversations to be a part of that. But you'll be a part of episode 150. That That is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes, thank sir. You, thank you. I'm glad, man. And I'm proud of you. Got to, I like these, man. I like these podcasts. I need to figure this out. Man. I know, you know, man. Listen, you I, may, I told you, I, I, I told you, I know a guy, man. You could, you know, we, we can work, we can have that happen, man. We can up close and personal with Bishop Omar. We can make that thing happen. Hey, man, I like that. <laughs> I like, I'm liking that. Oh, if not, I can be rolling with Clay. <laughs> All right. Listen, <laughs> hey, listen, that might even work better because we could cut up and have a good time. You know, I, yes, but, but but I don't want yes, I don't want Paulie mad at me. Tell Paulie that those extra few minutes, that, that was a direct decision from the CEO. <laughs> That's right. And he probably should have looking at me like, Bishop, you know, I know we got to do Paul. Paul looking, I got Paul, I got Edson, hey. and Corey. I got the whole crew hey. looking at me. Hey. hey, listen. But they, but hey. they love you, man. They love hey. you. Hey, man. With, and I love them right back. You, so I, good. I love them right back. Tell them favor ain't fair, but it's all right with me. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, sir. We got you, man. Well, well the, and, and again, tell people how they can learn more about urban specialists go to urban specialists with an s.org urban specialists.org and uh, we can uh, just go from there i'd love to have you a part of our world but you know on the real february 1 we're coming to Baton Rouge. you know we'll be, we'll be there before but we are actually getting getting that i mean there is no uh, ambiguous you know we're not playing about it we're coming to Baton Rouge to go all in. You know, it is our uh, it is our real test uh, to go in and say we can help solve, be a part of the solution. And then you can go to our Facebook page, go to uh, our Urban Stresses Facebook Facebook page and like it, like it and share it. 
And you and then they'll see some highlights on what we did with the uh, course correction. And you can see the full video. Yeah, you can see the entire thing coming out. Yeah, but we have some more videos and all that coming out. Just kind of give you some real in depth where we are and what we're doing. But Baton Rouge, we have started. In our minds, we already in Baton Rouge. No question. Uh, yeah, and the brothers, you know, I know I'll be in Shreveport with you. The brothers will be in Baton Rouge. Uh, going in, you know, yeah. we going in the Baton Rouge right now, so there's no question about it. Uh, so, and like I said, we need your real estate person because <laughs> Paul is somebody gonna need a house down there, you know. <laughs> hey, well, we cover the Baton Rouge. I think you know by now that my connections run pretty deep, so I can help you with that for sure. Yes, sir. That's what we need because we coming. We are coming to Baton Rouge. We already ready. You know, they teach me how to eat crawdig. Hey, wait, crawfish, crawfish, man, crawfish. Crawfish. See, we got to work on that now because, you know, I have to teach you. I got to teach you the verbiage, the vernacular. You can't be going knocking on people's door asking for some crawdads. They'll slam the door in your face, man. Say, he ain't from here. <laughs> <laughs> he ain't from here. So, so crawfish. Craw, crawfish. Listen, see? you can you can even get away with mud bugs, but don't say crawdads now. You know, yeah, okay. <laughs> and, and, I'm probably Louisiana. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, and <laughs> every other part of the world, they what they call gumbo in Louisiana, we call soup. That's not gumbo. You know? ah. Yeah. See, when you come to Louisiana, you you don't you don't go any other place on the planet to eat that's better than Louisiana. I'm sorry. That's a true state. You know, that's a true state. So that's all I can tell you that. <laughs> uh, he loves he love Louisiana stuff. He's trying to leave me him and Corey trying to leave me some boot ham, boot ass. I don't play with stuff I don't know, man. But they, they ate it up. Hey, listen. So, man, Anton. And, Corey, I, and so for, for for the audience to know, Corey's with us and he's white. <laughs> and he and he is more urban than all of us. <laughs> no doubt about it. So, no. yeah, so y'all would know who Corey is when he get out there. Treat him good. He's part of y'all family, man. Well, listen, and, and what, one of the times, and maybe we'll even do it next week, you know, maybe we'll make that a part of – uh, we'll do that when live here in studio and you bring all the guys and we sit across the table here in the studio and have this conversation and, and a part three. And I, I have actually, I may have a couple of special guests, hint, hint, to come and join that conversation. How about that? Oh, man. Now, now you're talking about a grand. That's the 150th show. If you make that happen, we'll be there. I promise you. Man, you listen. That, I, listen. We'll be I, there. I never drop a hint without already having the reality. Just know that, all right? <laughs> all right. Cool. We've, we've already had the conversation. We've already had the conversation. So this is good. This is good. Well, listen, Bishop, I appreciate uh, the time and what you're doing, and I am really fired up about what – uh, the the us here in this town and what the program will be able to do together for this community and beyond. Love it. Love it, man. I appreciate you playing. Man, man, mean it, man. Love you, brother. Promote your business or organization on Podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Clay Young here with Brian Lowe with Brian Lowe Financial. Brian, people talk about resolutions, but as it relates to finances, when people come to your classes, you can tell them how to properly create those goals, correct? Absolutely. It's all about goal setting, the roadmap, the income plan. Yes. The average person does not have a written down income plan. Well, mm-hmm. that's your goal yeah. as to when to retire. So you back into it. It's very simple. You take my class. It's three weeks. Mm-hmm. It's starting soon. Give us a call. If you're in Baton Rouge, Mandeville, or in New Orleans, mm-hmm. we have classes starting all over the place. So ultimately, we'll hold you accountable. It's three weeks. It's just two hours a night. Yeah. It's the fastest two hours of your life. It'll, it'll change it'll your life. fly by. It changes your life. When I opened the door and said you can do this yourself, it's kind of scary to fly by yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll be right there with you to hold your hand. I've jumped out of the plane at 12,000 feet. Yeah. I did it by myself. Right. Uh, but you know what? I'm not going to let you jump out by yourself. I'm going to be right there with you. 20 years of helping families secure their financial future. The man knows what he's doing. Call him up. 
Brian Lowe Financial. It's Manners in a Minute presented by Manners of the Heart. Have you caught yourself helping a little too much with the child's school project? Remaking your daughter's bed? Wiping the counters after the kids clean the kitchen? I know I've been guilty many times of a perfectionism that comes from unrealistic expectations of others. This week we've been discussing the importance of teaching our children perseverance, but not perfection. A child who is pushed to be perfect may be critical of others have trouble making decisions, be overly sensitive to criticism, and procrastinate out of fear of failure. If you recognize these traits in your children, here are some ways to pull back from perfectionism. Share stories of your own mistakes and failures. Don't compare your children with siblings or classmates. Verbally celebrate your children's unique traits and talents. And don't cry over spilled milk, literally. That's why we have paper towels. Perseverance is not about perfection. It's about the process and the purpose. Welcome back to the Clay Young Show. Man, I think I burned calories laughing in that interview. He is just funny, but he's committed to the cause. And I know we're going to do a part three of this because we've got so much to talk about. You know, there are podcasts that, that go on three hours. I think the longest one we have done in 149 episodes has been right at two hours, I think. And uh, that was one of the shows with Detective Tom Lang. And, you know, if, if, if it's really good and sometimes you get going and you don't want to stop it. And so I've listened to podcasts that can be two and three hours. And I just enjoy it. I listen to it over, over the course of days. I mean, I'm on the road a lot or and, and recently flying a ton and which is looks like it's going to be the case for the foreseeable future you know and just moving to each coast and and you know just around and when I'm in the car I'll put a podcast on and it just soaks up the time you know I just I get so immersed in that it just soaks it all up and I just I really enjoy listening to a variety of things things from sports to uh, business, to entertainment. It's just fun. And so it's you get caught up in it. But yeah, it's, it's one of those things where if you're doing a show and you can break it up like this, getting back to my point, you know, one, two, three, maybe four parts. It's just all about the flow. If, we, if we've reach, reached a point in the conversation where there is still more, but the energy has waned, so you stop because you don't want a lack of energy to steal from the content you hope to deliver. And so that's one of, and now in this case, we would have kept going, but he was up against the clock with another thing he had going on. And so we're going to do a part three. Listen, the 2018 smoke them if you got them is going to happen this year. That's right. In fact, this will be our fifth year anniversary. I've already had a sponsor from last year confirm that they will be back and they want to do more. Uh, we are talking with, and I, I, I didn't know because I wanted to spread it around a little bit because the first years, couple of years, we did Warriors for Freedom and then we moved to the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation. The first year, Taya could not be here because of family commitments. Last year, she was here, but man, on that day, it stormed. It was pouring down in buckets. And we're out there in the rain. Angie Bush is singing the national anthem. We're holding microphones standing in puddles. You just couldn't tell us we weren't committed and we did it. And so I toyed around with looking for someone else because I kind of want to spread this around because we give 100% of the money to the organization that we benefit with this fundraiser. But I said, you know, lots of people didn't get to see Taya because of the weather. People were wondering if we were going to even still go on with the program because of the weather, and we did. And so, you know, they are a great organization. She is a delightful lady. And I thought, you know, let's give that another shot so people didn't give, have a chance to meet her, could meet her. So we're working on that right now to get her back for the event. Don't worry, the rain won't be a factor. In fact, I was with Brian Dykes yesterday talking about it. Oh, there will be a covering over the courtyard this year. So unless the wind is gusting at 25, 30 miles an hour, which kind of did a little bit last year, but that's an anomaly in May, unless the it's really a consistent 
gust of wind, the rain won't be a factor. And we'll be able to be out there and enjoy Smoke'em number five. Guys, if you got any questions, anything you'd like me to add to the show, anything you, you know, just want to ask, any guest or whatever, you can email me, clay at podcast225.com. That's clay at podcast225.com. Thanks again to Bishop Jawar for being with us. Omar is a great guy. I'm looking forward to part three of our conversation when we return and join you on the 150th edition of The Clay Young Show. See ya. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.